the baseball. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. It's Wednesday, January 23rd, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chesco. And Chet, this two of three to start the top part of their schedule. The Flyers roll into the All-Star break with three straight wins behind that Carter Hart. Roy Halladay is a Baseball Hall of Famer. And the pitiful NFL officiating came to a head on Sunday. And for yet another week, there's still no word from Citizens Bank Park on catching a big free agent fish. I was wondering how long it would take you to mention the officiating. It took you about 27 seconds, I think. Uh, let's just stop, <laughs> talk, just stop, talk, stop talking about the Machado-Harper stuff till we have some actual news, Bill. Hopefully sometime before the first spring training game is played. But, you know, at this point I'm starting to wonder if it's even going to happen by then. And, hey, before we go any further – Although I'm 95.95% sure he's not listening, I wanted to take a moment to mention that today is my dad's 95th birthday, birthday number 95 for the Hall of Famer from my family, my dad. So 95 years young. Happy birthday, Dad. I saw that uh, you posted that. Uh, I only had a quick second to look. But, yes, happy birthday, Mr. Chesco, 95. And happy, uh, happy to you, Chet, to have Dad at yeah. age 95. Yes, indeed. All right, well, hey, Chet, we're going to talk a lot of Flyers tonight, but before we do, I want to get your thoughts on this Carson Wentz bashing article that came out. I'm not even going to give credit to the writer or the rag he works for. I'm not big on anonymous sources, but what was your take on that mess? Well, I'm not sure what to make of all of it. I mean, on the one hand, if there are truly six or seven players who said various negative things about the team's franchise quarterback, I think that is a concern. The writer put quotes around words like selfish, uncompromising, egotistical. But, you know, to be honest, if you talk to players on other teams about their own quarterback, I would venture a guess that a lot of them would say similar things if their identities were protected, of course. We don't know who said these things. We don't know for sure if the writer tweaked the words to get more attention. But what was refreshing was, you know, seeing so many of Wentz's teammates immediately taking to Twitter or other venues to defend their quarterback. One thing that may be accurate, though, is, you know, as one player allegedly noted, Carson sometimes overcomplicated the offense, and I could see that to an extent. In fact, let me give you a quote from Ray Dinger. Ray said, I don't know a single quarterback that's played this game that doesn't have his own idea of how he wants to run the offense and what he wants to do on the field. That's not being selfish. That's playing the position, and that's part of leadership. That is a direct quote from Ray Diddy. In the end, though, I think and I hope that this will be one of those things that will get a lot of attention for a couple of days and then, you know, soon be forgotten. Well, I think it was perfect clickbait. Uh, It made all the news, even the bigger news, you know, Channel 6 and those – you know, it made that coverage. Uh, they probably accomplished what they wanted to. The key to me was that the guys that came to Wentz's defense happened to be named Kelsey Peters, Brooks, uh, those sort of guys who are the guys that are protecting him. And if they're on board, I'm calling it garbage. Yeah, and you know, what I didn't like especially about the article was the fact that he didn't really have anybody on the record from either side saying anything <laughs> negative or positive. You know, you know a lot of the players are going to say these positive things if they're asked, yet he chose to focus only on the negative things. And it was funny, I was at the PSWA banquet the other night, the Philly Sports Writers Banquet, and the author of this article was sitting right next to Marcus Hayes at a table by themselves. And near the back, Marcus Hayes wrote a follow-up piece, you know, kind of shooting down a lot of what this guy wrote. So, I, man, I would have liked to have inched a little closer to hear what they were talking about. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Well, hey, uh... Chet, that's enough of the nonsense. As mentioned, the, fi- the Flyers are officially out of the basement. There are actually three teams with less points, albeit one point, but still a long way from the playoffs, and I'm really interested to see what tonight's guest has to say about the current state of the team. Yeah, and as you know, I was at that banquet the other night, and I had a nice chat with our pal Sam Carcitti from the Inquirer. He asked how the show was doing. I mentioned that we had Bill Meltzer on this week, and Sam said, Bill Meltzer is the guy. He could tell you everything about the Flyers as well as about some 17-year-old prospect from Slovenia or somewhere like that. Something to that effect. Bottom line, Sam gave some major props to our guest who is on the line now. Well, and, and I have to say, Ted, I, I don't think I could top that welcome, but let's welcome 
our Flyers expert from HockeyBuzz.com, Bill Meltzer. Bill, welcome back to the show. Always great to have you. Thanks, guys. Always fun to talk to you. Hey, Bill. Uh, first things first, I finally got around to checking out one of your podcasts, your most recent episode of the Broadcasters Roundtable. You chatting with Jim Jackson, Tim Saunders, Chris Terrian, and Coetzee. That's good stuff. I bet you guys have a lot of fun doing that. Oh, those those are a blast. Yeah, those uh, we do those uh, every every month or two, and uh, you know I would I would love if we did it more often. They're they're they're, they're always yeah. they're always a lot of fun, and uh, you know it's uh, you know we uh, they, they, the biggest thing is we try to keep them you know to to, to within that time length because sometimes I feel like we keep going and going, but we have a great time with it. Yeah. So, Bill, as a guy who writes about the Flyers, did you ever imagine back in early October that in three months' time you'd be seeing a GM get fired, a coach, and an assistant get the axe, and, yes, seven goaltenders see action? No, absolutely <laughs> not. I, I would have, you know, I, I would have... Uh... <laughs> uh, I, I would have been incredulous if somebody had told me that. And also if somebody had told me that, uh, you know, that after the quarter mark of the season with the power play being at like 68% of that point, you, it, it'll go over the next over the next 25 games or so. It'll be well over 80%. How will the team be doing? Well, I think they'll be doing pretty well, but, you know, they, they, are, they are where they are. So, you know, it's, a, it, it's, uh, it, it's been a very strange season to say the least. Well, Bill, I think uh, the, the Flyers start and finish with Carter Hart, it seems. Uh, I think we're all a little surprised. I think the last time we had you on, I, I don't think we expected that he would be up quite this soon. Uh, the kid is playing pretty well, certainly been a little inconsistent as a, as a youngster, but seeing a lot of shots and certainly appears to be getting better, and the team certainly appears to be playing better behind him. Yeah, I think he's been pretty consistent. Uh, he had one game in, in – um... Carolina that, that wasn't so great. Every goalie has days like that. I think for the most part, Carter's been tremendous. Um, you know, and he's played, he's played against some good teams, some good goaltenders too. Uh, some guys who've been Vezina Trophy winners like Pecorine, and he's you know he's won some of those games. So uh, you know, he, I, it's it's rare to see a goalie who's 20 years old in the NHL at all. He is the youngest goalie in the league. He set a franchise record this year for the youngest goalie to win a game, and really was the second youngest goalie ever to appear in a game. There's just not a lot of 20-year-olds. Uh, you know, goalies generally take the longest of any position to develop. I was certainly in the camp of thinking he needed a year, a full year in the American Hockey League, and it took him a couple of months. He wasn't ready for the NHL at the start of the season, um, had some ups and downs early on with the Phantoms in the American Hockey League, and then he settled in and he got in a role and he, he got called up. Um, you know, and some games the goal support hasn't been there for him. He's had to, you know, some games only, only one or two or, or you know, couple of times even the Flyers got shut out, you know, the, you're not going to win those games. But, I mean, he's uh, he's given the team a chance to win virtually every time he's been out, with the exception of, I think, that one game in, in Carolina. And, uh, you know, I mean, the biggest, uh, you know, if you look at the biggest things that have sunk the team this season, goaltending instability would be number one on that list. This, this season would look a whole lot different if they'd had that kind of stability in that during during most of the first half. So it's a, it's a very encouraging sign. Um, no matter how the team finishes, if Carter keeps playing the way he's been playing. Well, since you mentioned Carter Hart, uh, we got to talk about the other goalies. What is the status, first of all, of the other guys, Brian Elliott, Michael Neuvert, Anthony Stolarz, and what happens, you know, assuming they're all healthy soon? They're not going to send Hart down. They can't. So what, what's going to happen here? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't imagine they're going to send Carter down. Um, he's the one guy who can go down without waivers. That's, that's the only thing. Um, but he'll Card will be back with the team when you know after the All Star break, and uh, you know I assume he'll be in goal on Monday when they play Winnipeg. It'll be another tough game for him. Um, the the other goalies, uh, Anthony Stolarz has been on a rehab assignment with the with the Phantoms in the American League. Uh, made two starts for the team. He had I believe 42 saves the other night, so he's actually no longer with the Phantoms. I think he's back up with the big club. Um, and there's you know the team's gonna have a decision to make whether he's going to. You know, they're they're going to go continue carrying three goalies, Mike McKenna being the third goalie, the veteran of the Flyers picked up off of waivers a couple of weeks ago. Or uh, it's possible McKenna could be waived and go down to the Phantoms. Um, you know, I, Stars, Stars doesn't have very good numbers this year, but I actually thought he played better than his numbers looked. The team in general was just in, in disarray. And, you know, he, I mean, he, he got in some bad goals here and there. He wasn't, wasn't blameless, but I thought that, uh, you know, I thought Stoli actually played decently in, in his games. So I, I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he stays up with a big team. Um, the real, the real thing to keep an eye on here is with Brian Elliott, you know, uh, Elliott, 
he was the team's number one goalie. He's had you know any number of physical issues. He's been out since uh, since November at this point. And um, you know the the official word was they had to look at his look at his films. They you know in other words uh, they took an MRI uh, on you know some lower body issues that he has. And um, you know he's unrestricted at the end of the season. Is he going to get back in the lineup at some point? I mean they're they're saying he's progressing, but uh, the timetable seems to be getting he seems to be getting pushed back again and again and again. You know, last season he had hip issues and he was on a you know a maintenance plan, which basically means that they he goes through physical therapy, massage treatments, and whatever to, to get through the season to delay surgery. I don't know if that's the case here this time around or, or what or what's going on with with Brian. He was just on the ice the other day for the for the first time uh, with the team on the ice, so I think it's going to be a few weeks yet on him. And uh, Michael Neuvirth, of course, is uh, you know he, he's had chronic injury issues throughout his career, and um, he's he's down again. I believe the timetable for him to skate on his own will be later this week. So there are going to be decisions to make in, in the upcoming weeks. Uh, Stolars will be the first decision, and then uh, and we'll see with, with Elliott and Neuvirth. Well, Bill, staying with Carter Hart, uh, 34 games left in the regular season. There are 14 points out of the final uh, playoff spot, so playoffs are not looking like they're going to happen. Uh, yeah. Do you play the kid just about – Every night from here on out, 34 games, give him 26 of them, say? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to look at the schedule. When you have three games and four nights or back-to-back games, and there's going to be actually right off, pretty much right off the hop, the Flyers are going to play three games and four nights when they come back off the break. He's not going to play all three of those. They'll, they'll break those up. You know, he'll either get the first and the third or the first and the second. And, you know, I, I, whether it be McKenna or, or Stolarz in the other game, I don't know. But, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll see something like that. I think you'll see him get – you know, I think you'll see him get a lot of work, but I, I think that uh, you know. Also, don't forget that the the NHL season just just works a little differently. You don't want to you don't want to overwork him either. So I, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if he gets you know, more than half, about two thirds of the games. But I don't I don't expect him to go to go every game or, or just about every game. Uh, now, if you're you're in a playoff chase and you need every point you can get, and you have you're riding a hot goalie, that's a different story. But I don't I don't think there's a need to you know. Ex- extend Carter more than more than they have to, but he'll certainly he'll certainly he'll get a lot of work. And then maybe even the end of the season you could see him go go back to the Phantoms for a Calder Cup playoff run. Bill the NHL trade deadline is February twenty fifth, so it's about a month away. We can pretty much bet that at least one or two flyers will be traded. So who's most likely to go? Is it Wayne Simmons or someone else? Yeah, I mean Simmons certainly is uh, the name that that's out there the most often. Um, anyone, anyone who's on an expiring contract is uh, a candidate to be traded. So, you know, if not uh, uh, Simmons, uh, like a guy like Michael Roffel, the guy who could help a team for a playoff run, um, you know, that, that, that kind of a player uh, tends to get moved towards the deadline. Um, you know, I, obviously, Yuri Laterra is not a contract you can move. He'll, you know, he's, he's there for the season, and then his contract is, is expired. Um, and then there, then there's some guys who have more term left on their deal, you know, like uh, Radko Gudis has a year left to go on his contract. That's the guy who they could get some value for, but they, they also, the Flyers will also need him, and he's part of the, the plan going forward. So you could see something like that. If it involved a guy like, like Jake Voracek, that would be a, a much bigger kind of a deal um, just because of how much term he has left on his contract. It would have to be almost Flyers requiring somebody else's player with a, you know, with a lot of term left. That kind of thing. I don't. I don't. I think the odds are against him being moved this year. Um, but uh, yeah, with Wayne Simmons, I mean, he's been such a big piece of the team. It's his eighth season with the team. He's been part of that core group. And um, you know, if, if he wasn't a power forward in his 30s, and have, having had some injury issues, I think they would do everything they could possibly do to resign him. Uh, and it's not impossible that he would get resigned, but I think he is the most likely biggest name guy that would go strictly because he's he's done a deal that expires this season. Mm-hmm. And I read the other day that a couple of former Flyers may be traded as well in the coming weeks, Braden Shen and Sergei Burbovsky. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, uh, now in Shen's case, there's, I believe, another year left in his contract. St. Louis is a team that's been, you know, they've underachieved. I mean, listen, St. Louis gave up two first-round picks of the Flyers to get Shen, and it hasn't, it hasn't really been Braden's fault. You know, he had, a, I thought, a pretty good year last year. He's having just okay of a year this year. The Blues of a team have, you know, have underachieved. I mean, it, it's conceivable he could be on the move. Um, and the, to me, the real interesting situation, you mentioned Bobrovsky, I mean, because Columbus is a, is a contender, you know, they're, they're a team that could go pretty deep in the playoffs, but you know, Bobrovsky is unhappy there. 
and apparently has no plans to resign there at the end of the season. So, you know, either you, you take your last playoff run with him and, you know, keeping in mind that he's never won a playoff series in his career, but certainly the talent is there as a guy who's won two Vezina trophies. They have a, they have a tough decision to make. Um, you know, you, you always want to get value for an asset. You can get a lot back for him. But I don't, you know, I don't think that they trust Jonas Corposalo to be their to be their playoff goalie, and that's a that sends a pretty clear message. You know, they have they have both Bobrovsky and they have uh, Artemi Panarin is also unrestricted at the end of this year, so they have to make decisions on those guys. You know, it's, it's do you do you trade them and get the value back, or do you do you take your run in the playoffs with them? I think, uh, you know, I think when you have a team that like Columbus that's kind of been knocking on the door, I, I think they're probably inclined to just uh, ride it out, take their run with them, and then. You know, sometimes you see trades right before the uh, the NHL draft where they'll trade a player's negotiating rights, and you don't get as much in return, but you could get something back for a team to be able to negotiate a contract ahead of free agency. That that's a possibility, but those, that yeah, certainly Bobrovsky is a name you hear a lot about a guy a guy who might be on the move. Well, Bill, I always like to look at these young guys because I thought they had a ton of talent, but I want to get your assessment on the the three young defensemen. Robert Haig, Ivan Povarov, and Travis Sanheim, all 23, 22, 22 years old, all young kids. Uh, step forward, step backward. Well, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, not that he's like not a kid anymore. He's not an older player either, but Shane Gossespierre, you know, I mean, coming into the season, I mentioned the goaltending. To me, the other, to me, the other big reason why the Flyers have taken a big step backwards this year is they went into this year figuring that, Ivan Provorov would build off of a tremendous year last year, and and Shane Gossesbear is coming off of a terrific year. Neither guy has played either to either to the team's expectations or or their standards they set for themselves. It's been a disappointing first half for for both of those guys. And given the number of minutes that they play, it's definitely been a you know a step back. Um, Travis Sandheim, on the other hand, has been a been a, a positive uh, development this year. You know, going from a first year pro to a second year pro. And, um, you know, he's, he's playing on the top pair with Provorov at this point, um, playing a lot of minutes. I don't know if top pair is really where he belongs at this stage of his career, but he's, you know, he's at least holding his own. Um, he, he, you can see his game coming along on both sides of the puck. Um, still, makes, still makes a share of mistakes, but he bounces back a lot faster. He's, he's better in one-on-one battles. His gap control is a lot better. And he's contributing a little bit on offense. There's more. There's more there, though. There's, uh, you know, I think there are more points that'll be in his future, maybe as a as a power play kind of defenseman. So he he's trending in the right way. And Robert Haig is, uh, you know, he's found his niche as as a physical defensive defenseman. Uh, he's contributed a little bit on the offensive side of the puck. He's, you know, he's a he's a supporting cast guy rather than a, than a twenty minute a night guy. But uh, you know, he's he's developed into a you know a, a guy who's a, a starting six defenseman in the NHL. But it's really yeah, it's really been the top end guys with who I think the Flyers have needed more from, and they might, you know, I, I think going forward um, into this off season and, and planning for next season, they might be looking for a, a veteran defenseman who can give them 20 minutes tonight just to take some pressure off those other guys. Well, that's a good uh, segue right into my question, which is what I was going to ask you right here anyway. Uh, I'm going to ask you which Flyer has been the biggest disappointment this season? For me, it's Provorov, and who's been the most pleasant surprise? Yeah, I, I would I would agree that uh, you know Provorov was in the uh, was the Menards Trophy talk you know heading into the season and uh, there, there have been you know there have been flashes uh, of his level of play and it hasn't been a total disaster but uh, he hasn't uh, you know he hasn't played nearly he hasn't even played the level he did his rookie season it's been very inconsistent particularly with the puck on his stick I think there's a little bit of a little bit of a confidence issue that, that's maybe creeped in with his game a little bit. It's hard to say. Uh, he, he swears up and down there's no physical issue. Um, so I would, I would say it's Provorov or Ghost. Uh, and Ghost, Ghost points are way down. He's not even on the top power play unit. So I might actually go with Ghost as the biggest disappointment this season. But it's, but it's you know, it's one of the other, one of those guys or the other. Or, you know, Nolan Patrick, now it seems like he's, he's finally coming around and settling in. But, I mean, he was, you know, he was NHL Network's pick for breakout player of the year and he just went you know two months without a goal so uh you know although although it's coming around and starting to starting to click for him i think if you look at the whole body of work you know we're expecting a little bit more um you know out of nolan the season um and in terms of in terms of guys who are who are pleasant surprise so far this season um that's uh let's see i i think that i mean i mentioned not that not that sandheim is necessarily a, a surprise but I just think that he—I just think the fact that he's going from having been a healthy scratch quite a few times last season to, to playing 20 minutes a night, 
seeing seeing some power play time, you know, making some making a big step in his contributions. That's been a that's been a, a pleasant development this year and something you want to see continue going forward. Mm-hmm. Hey Bill, I want to ask you about Claude Giroux. Uh, he he just reached his five hundredth assist, career assist, seven hundred twenty nine career points. Uh, where where are you gonna put him in Flyers lore? I mean he He's a pretty darn good player, and and I think a pretty uh, underappreciated star here in the city. Oh, I I, I could not agree more. Could not agree more. Uh, I, I you know Claude has a very good chance of finishing uh, of finishing second in points all time in franchise history. By the time he's done, you know he'll, he'll pass Brian Propp and Bill Barber. He's got he's got a shot at that. I don't I don't think he can catch Bob Clark, but. Uh, he's already only only the second guy in franchise history who's had you know, 500 assists, as you said. He'll he'll be uh, he's going to climb up the goal scoring charts. He's not a goal scorer, although he had his first 30 goal year last year. But you know, he's he's climbing up even on, on those charts as well. He's a guy who's uh, you know been a Hart Trophy finalist. He's played in six All Star games. Um, you know his his playoff points per game, although his last two playoff runs have not been the best. But even if you look in the hole in the playoff runs, he's Top five in points per game all time for Flyers in, in playoffs. Um, was a big part of that Cup run, Cup final run in 2010. Scored, scored an overtime winning goal in, in the playoffs that year. The second year guy um, got the better of Sidney Crosby when the, in the 2012 series with the Flyers upset the Penguins. I mean, you know, those who say he's never done anything in the postseason, well, you know, maybe not in the last couple of years, but he's he's had some good postseasons too. I think that when you look when you look all time. You know, all-time Flyers greats. By the time he's by the time he's done, he's going to be he's going to be right up there with, with the all-time top guys. And hopefully for you know for his sake, there'll be a, you know another deep run and even be, even better yet a Stanley Cup final some some point in his Flyers career before he retires. That would be uh, that would be a feather in his cap for sure. That would kind of cement it. But I think that uh, you know when you look at the players of franchise history, he's going to be right right up there. All right, one final question from me, Bill. We got to ask you about Scott Gordon. What kind of a job has he done? What does he have to do to get consideration to, you know, get a full-time job as coach? Well, I'm, you know, and I, I mean, because I know Gordo from his time with uh, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's different style coach than than Dave Haxtell. He's, uh, you know, he he's they're both guys are very detail oriented. Um, you know, I I think that uh, you get you get much more public detail sometimes from, from Gordo, just in terms of what players need to work on and those kind of things. His system is not, uh, not identical to uh, Haxtell's, um, although it's not, a, you know, it's not radically different either. Um, there, are, there are aspects that are different. Uh, the, the, the hardest thing, of course, is when you come in mid-season, they had a stretch there where they're going a month and they only had three, four practices. You know, and all that time, and there's a new GM in place. You really can't implement a whole new system. You're kind of you're kind of tweaking things on the fly and not throwing too much information at guys. You're doing it a little bit at a time. I think one thing he's done really well is he's met with players individually. Um, you know, look look at for example James Van Riemsdyk. You know, he had a talk with him uh, and about the things he'd observed, and they knew each other from before from from having been in the Toronto organization together. And um, you know, JBR got back on top of his game. Um, he moved. Um, you know, he moved Travis Konechny down to the fourth line for part of a game, and you know Travis responded. And um, and he's given given some young guys who people have been wanting to see play bigger roles. You know the Oscar Lindblom's and mentioned Sanheim. He's been entrusting more minutes and more role. You know, bigger bite of the apple for those guys. So those are things that I think that that he's all done well. Uh, I mean, honestly, you know, uh, when it's going to come come down to is you know how much do you win you know and um, yep. i think there's going to be there's going to be pressure to bring in a, a big name coach whether that big name coach is joe quenville or alan vino or we'll see you know we'll see whether, whether other names are out there um I, at the very least I, I would like to see him get consideration to, to stay on or you know or in an assistant coaching role or a chance to go back to the Phantoms or whatever, whatever the case might be. To me, he's been an asset to the organization. He's a bright hockey guy, and he's, you know, he's, uh, to me, to me, a good hockey coach. Uh, whether the interim tag gets removed or not, that's that's kind of tough. It's a, it's a tough situation. A lot of times you see a, a new GM wants to bring in his own guy, and it'll be a guy from the outside or who he's worked with before. So, you know, it's uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of an uphill climb, to be to be very frank about it. But, uh you know he's not, he's not totally out of the mix. If they have, if they have a really strong second half and you know things seem to be shaping up well and the players like them and want them back, then uh, you know then then you might see that kind of situation. But it's uh, you know it's uh, it remains to be seen. 
All right. Well, hey, Bill, before we let you go, uh, can you let our listeners know where we can find your work? Uh, you have that new podcast or fairly new podcast as well. Uh, let everybody know what you got going on. Sure. Uh, well, I'm at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. Actually, we have a new article today on uh, Samuel Moran's um, rehab from his ACL tear. And, of course, Sam's be back in a couple of, in, a, in a couple of weeks. He should finally be cleared to be back in action. So I'm doing stuff for the for the Flyers website most days of the week. I do stuff every day of the week for Hockey Buzz. And you were just mentioning the shows we do on FlyersRadio247.com. The, we have a couple of different podcasts on there. So uh, check it out if you get a chance. And uh, it's always fun talking with you guys. All right, Bill. Hey, we appreciate you joining us as always, and uh, good luck in the second half of the season. Hope they uh, can turn this thing around a little bit more. Thanks. Yeah, it's been it's nice to have some wins to talk about recently. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, Bill. All right, I've got 40 seconds to tell you a few things about the Irish Rover Station House. Here we go. Trivia every Wednesday evening, a DJ every Friday night, and live bands most Saturdays. This Saturday, the 26th, it'll be never enough. Always great deals on food and drink as well. Lunch specials, dinner specials, happy hour specials, a free buffet Friday nights at 11 p.m. Bill Furman's going to pop in some Friday and stay there just to check out that free buffet. And, yes, always 24 beers on tap. Check the website for details, irishroverstationhouse.com, or just pop in. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. A little music from the great band Jethro Tull because it was 50 years ago this week, January 24th, 1969, that Jethro Tull made their first U.S. concert appearance. They opened for Led Zeppelin. Well, who knew? I did. <laughs> hey, hey, Chad, I'm a little, yeah. I'm a little, um, I'm a little curious how you think I'm going to stay up that late to get to <laughs> <laughs> the buffet. I mean, yeah. I'm all in. Uh, nobody <laughs> likes a buffet more than me. But, ooh, yeah, I might have to have a big afternoon nap in order to make that happen. I'll see if they can move it up to like eight thirty for you old guys. You know, <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right, well, hey, do I hear music? Do I, hear music? I don't hear anything. Oh no, wait, wait, there it is. There it is. It's that Fred Hugo time again, Chet. Let's welcome Fred back to the show. Fred, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Oh, living the dream down here, as they say. <laughs> Hello, Fred. Hey, Chad, I got to tell you, we're, we're not going to make our Super Bowl predictions this week. Uh, and I hate to even ask this, but let us know <laughs> where do we stand heading into the Super Bowl at our little, little prediction pool. Well, I know why you hate to ask. Last weekend, it was those two memorable conference championship games. Fred and I picked the Rams and Chiefs, so we went 1-1, one and one, while you, Bill, sorry to say, went 0-2. Oh you can blame the officials. I'm sure that's coming. Uh, for the postseason now, I am 6-4. and four. Fred is 5-5. Five and five. Mr. Furman, you are now bringing up the rear at 4-6. and six. You've been eliminated. Well, I can tell you what, on my <laughs> picks, I've stunk all year, and it doesn't matter what pool or what thing I've been involved in, I have not been – I couldn't pick a one – Horse race, right, uh, the way this year has gone. Fred and I weren't much better. <laughs> I know. We're only like one or two games above you. <laughs> Pretty sad. Yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> oh. Well, hey, let's talk some Sixers for a few minutes uh, since we're not going to talk about the uh, the Super Bowl right yet. And, uh, you know, the, the Sixers are in what's supposed to be the tough part of their schedule. As we said, they've won two of three, lost the other one by just two points. Uh do you see them stepping up their game here? Uh, or is this team maybe a little bit better than we thought, or should we not get too excited, Fred? Um, the defense is outside of the 115 that they – or 117, I think it was, that they gave up to Oklahoma City, which is – typically I, I think I, they score around that a game. They've, they've given up 93, I think 196. So I think what we're seeing is the, the, the team is starting to, to play defense – or, or being more in sync. So I I definitely don't think this is going to be the roster as is, but I would definitely I, – I, I've been excited, so I, I'm still excited. I, I thought they are going to be a three seed. I think they'll contend. Um, I, I think they'll make it to the Eastern Conference Championship. I don't know if they'll, they'll get, get through there because Toronto is pretty deep. 
Um, and then you got you got the Bucks and and Boston. I think they can beat Boston. Um, so I'm I am excited, and I always have been. That game against OKC was a great game to watch. Sorry the way it ended, unfortunately. But the other two games, man, they blew out Indiana, and then they won the other one big the other day. Um, right now they got a, another game tonight against San Antonio. For I know Jimmy Butler's not playing. Are Embiid and Simmons both in the lineup? I think uh, they're both questionable. Well, I think now Embiid's playing. I, I saw, I, last I saw Ben Simmons was still questionable, and I haven't gotten any notification on my phone. Typically it sends me notifications, yeah. so I haven't gotten anything. So I assume he's playing. Fred, let me ask you about uh, two other players, both of whom have you know come on a little bit. Corey Brewer, new guy, he's played what three day three games. Looks like he's worth a second ten day contract or more. So he looks like he's going to stick around. And Jonah Bolden is getting some quality minutes. So what do you think of both Corey Brewer and Jonah Bolden, Fred? Well, Corey Brewer first. He's just he's he's always been consistent defensively. He can get hot shooting a three, but he could be cold as ice. But the main thing I think with him is they 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 have veteran guys who've been in the league that that they're bringing in here now, you know, that have actually played on good teams. Like Corey Brewer was on some playoff rocket teams. He's been around the league. He knows how to play play the game. So I I think that's definitely a good pickup. And the ten day contract was probably more like a tryout, you know. And so far he's going to get the start again tonight. We'll see how he pans out the next few days. He, he'll earn earn a contract on the roster. And um, Jonah Bolden, uh, he, this, he's always had talent. We've been yelling, why, why don't you put these players on the court, Brett? You know, and Rashawn Holmes is a guy we traded away who, who I think is definitely a better backup center than Amir Johnson. And it, it just he just gets out of – he had some defensive lapses. But it's like, Brett, get these guys on the court. They have talent, and now they are. He's able to shoot the three, and, and, and he's a pretty good player. So we'll we'll see. You need more time with him. Obviously, you can't uh, make a final judgment on, on Bolden, but he's a young player that was drafted, and, and I'm excited to see what he can do. We definitely definitely need to add more, though. There has to be more additions. Hey, Chet, I was uh, listening the other day. Actually, I made my quick trip to Philly was – in and out real fast, and uh, but I had the radio on for just a minute. Head Charles Barkley was on the Mike Missinelli show. I don't know if you heard him on. I did hear or, that yeah. uh, on Friday, and I thought it was interesting his comments about Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, I'll give a little quick recap. But basically, Charles said the reason Simmons can't shoot, but yet you know, and, and Charles is very high on Simmons, thinks the world of him, and thinks he's a, he's an all star, even with his shooting struggles. Uh, but Charles' comment I thought was great. He said when he was when Charles was in high school, he said he saw maybe two players his whole high school career that had the talent that he had. And he wasn't bragging. It was fact. He goes yep. to Auburn. Uh, he said he saw maybe five or six players uh, in the time he was at Auburn. He said, but then you get to the NBA, and everybody's good. Everybody's good. And that's where you have to work to up your game. And uh, his point was for Ben Simmons, if he's going to be all he could be, he's got to just – jack up the work ethic and work on his game. He's just a kid. And Charles is expecting just fantastic things from Simmons if he puts in the work. Yeah, I did hear Charles. I love listening to Sir Charles because he's great on the radio when he's on there with Mike or whomever. And he also had interesting interesting things to say about uh, them playing Embiid last week when he was, you know, hobbled with the bad back. He was very critical of them putting Embiid in the lineup and, you know, taking a chance on him getting hurt. Um, I love Sir Charles. And, yeah, he makes a good point. We all would like to see Ben Simmons take that outside shot. He's, you know, taken a few fadeaway jumpers, but not the true outside, you know, 15, 18-footer that we really want to see. We know he can do it. I think it's going to come. And when it does, he will be a superstar. I I think, like, like I agree with Charles, what he said. He, he never had to use a jumper his whole life. He was a forward. Right. I think we talked about this on the the show we had at the Lantern. You know, he he's learning how to play point guard, and then now you're adding on the jump shot. He, he's doing – his timeline is different than what the fan base's timeline is. We've waited so long through the, the tanking and everything that we want it now where we have to realize that this guy's in his second year. He didn't – he worked on the jump shot in the offseason, but he was more focused on his post game and being able to match up smaller point guards, which – he has brought some people down on that block and, and score points on. So I think 
I think the world of Ben Simmons, and I think we we just need to give him give him time. We gotta gotta relax. A lot of a lot of trade talk on Twitter, and then uh, you were talking about the Embiid thing. I, I I couldn't disagree more with with Charles. You know the the guy they they he's apparently the back gets better when he loosens it up, and he's trying to push himself forward a little bit so that he's not one of these NBA players that sits out 14 games because he needs a rest. He's trying to push his body, and I know there's you're scared that he's going to get hurt, but I mean, he's he's young. He's in his whatever year. It, he's going to need to be able to do that in, in big games and play. So I, I disagree with Charles as far as the Embiid not playing. Yeah. He can go, gotta, which, which he proved he could go. you got to trust the player on that. I mean, the player's got to know his own body and know that if it's, you know, too sore or it feels like it, it might, you know, hurt more if he does something, you got to just trust the player and go with what he says. Embiid wanted to be out there. He's a warrior. We know that. And it was good to see. And, yeah, it turned <laughs> out great. Well, and, and to Charles' credit, since he's not here to credit himself, his point was that all players will tell you they can always go. You know, they're, they're always yeah, going to yeah. play. Um, and sometimes you have to protect the player from themselves. Except maybe Mark Hill that, Fultz right after Jimmy Butler gets acquired. All right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he, you know, his thought was Brett Brown should have stepped in, should step in as needed and take care of that. Anyway, I want to go on to the next thing. And, Fred, I'm going to start with you being the younger guy because I, I think you younger guys appreciate this more than us older guys. But there's a, some rumbling about Joel Embiid and all the trash talk. Um, good for the NBA, bad for the NBA, bad for the Sixers. What, what do you think? Young guys seem to be a little more trash talking than us old fellas. Well, I would think it would relate to you to you old fellows a little more because the basketball you grew up with and I grew up with in the 90s was players hating each other and wanting to beat each other. And we may not have seen it on social media or have been able to portray it everywhere, but Jordan, Bird, the bad boys, Elijah Wan, Shaq, they were all yapping each other in each other's faces. And now we went through this, this era of LeBron James, Chris Paul, Melo, all best buddies, Dwayne Wade hanging out. We love each other. We're best friends. I like this, this, this what Embiid's doing, and I like the trash talk, and I think it should get back to that co- competition level. I noticed also Yusef Nurchic of, of the uh, Denver Nuggets, they just played the um, um, Westbrook, and then them two are trash talking each other a little bit. He's calling them West Brick. So it's a different kind of trash talk because it's, it's, you see exactly what they're saying because of all the cameras we have, and then people are it's, – it's open to be able to tweet and put it on social media nowadays. But um, I, I, I like it because I want it to go back to the players against each other, not let's team up, let's beat each other, and, and that's why I love it. I'm not a huge fan of it. I especially don't like, you know, some of the real angry trash talk. I don't like the stare down either when a guy, you know, stares at the other team or the other team's bench. Um, not a big fan of that. On Twitter, it's okay, you know, if, if it's kind of joking and the guys know that it's joking, but I'm not a huge fan. Maybe it's because when I was playing basketball, I was never good enough to trash talk anybody. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not uh, I, I'm not big on it either. Um, you know, just play the game. I think there's way too much trash talking in all, to, all the sports for me. So we'll see. But, hey, uh, before we close out, Fred, uh, wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, Thirty-one and seventeen at this point. Where are we going? We I asked you this last week. You've seen a little bit. Uh, we're on a little hot streak here. Uh, besides the winning two out of three, they've won uh, what four out of five. So where do you right. see this thirty-one ended? I'm, I'm on fifty, fifty between fifty-four and fifty-eight. I'm, I'm still there, and um, I, I'll stay at the the, the fifty-four number. I, I think through this road trip, there'll be 500 at least, and then you get some easier teams. There's going to be um, some buyouts coming up here. One guy to be on the lookout for I was look, reading up on is um, Ernest Cantor might, might be bought out. That would be the perfect center to come in next to Embiid. we got to see what happens here, but I'm, I'm optim- really optimistic. All right, so Fred's going, wow, mid to upper 50s. I'm sticking with 52 i said 48 when the season started i think last week i said 50 to 52 i like what i've seen these last three games so i'll stay uh, at 52 and we'll talk again next week and you know update for for the record i'm All at right. 54 just to, for the record 54 there. okay 
54. All right, well, we got the trade deadline is, what, February 7th, so we're still a ways out on that. Uh, so we'll see what happens leading up to that. And then, of course, uh, the trade deadline could make this thing really interesting. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, hey, Fred, thanks for joining us again. Next week we'll be talking Super Bowl. Um, at least there won't be bad, any bad officiating this weekend, but we'll talk about that some next weekend with you as well. There will be no officiating this weekend. Take the over. The Pro Bowl, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, you, saw where, you saw where I nominated you and Chet to both be uh, Pro Bowl <laughs> referees. It couldn't be any worse than uh, what we saw. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm busy. There's a Love Boat Marathon on, on Sunday, so I'll be watching that. There you go. All right, Fred, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next. All right, Fred's gone. So uh, we, we talked a little insurance here, Bill. Yes, sir, Chad. You know, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you, Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. Yeah, you got it, Bill. It is true. One of the best benefits of having an Allstate insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Click on the Allstate banner on our Philly Press Box radio website or call Dave directly at 610-430-0700. That is Dave Lavoie at Allstate Insurance in Westchester, 610-430-0700. All right. Wait, Chet, I know you're excited that Roy Halladay has been selected as a member of the 2019 Baseball Hall of Fame class. What? What do you make of that? Well, let's get even more excited. Let's do this. Halliday's got his signs. The 1-2 pitch. Hit toward third. Castro has it. Spins. Fires. A perfect game! Roy Halliday has thrown the second perfect game in Philadelphia Phillies history. He faces 27 batters. He retires all 27. T-Mac with the call from that uh, 2010 Perfecto. Boy, what a night that was. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Great guy, Roy Halladay. And after having several very good years in Toronto, we got to watch him in Philly for four years. And I'll tell you, his first couple of years were just phenomenal. Dominating stuff, the perfect game, the postseason no-hitter. Just a joy to watch on the mound after you know, every fifth day those couple of seasons. A shame he was saddled with the injury the last year and a half he was a Philly. And a real shame, of course, that he had to leave this earth at such a young age in 2016. Very glad to see him going into the baseball hall on the first ballot. Well, and I'm going to disagree with you, Chet. I don't believe he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think uh, to get 90-some percent of the votes here in the first year is certainly a reach. I think it was 85.9, something like that. Too many. Yeah, I'm, I was surprised, actually, that he got – I thought he might sneak in with, you know, 76% or something like that. I was surprised the number was that high. And, you know, it's sad to say, but I think maybe he got some extra votes because of his unfortunate demise. And, you know, you're talking about Missinelli. I listened to Mike Missinelli today, and he was talking about the fact that nobody seemed to be overly bothered about the fact that, you know, Halliday had four different drugs in his system when he – crashed the plane and unfortunately lost his life they just kind of you know let that slide um because it was mostly you know pain medication and some antidepressant and whatnot uh rather than like you know a heroin or you know something like that but still he was out there and he could have hurt somebody else and we kind of gave him a pass for that because he was such a great guy i guess but uh what do you make of that i mean should we have taken that into consideration in considering him for the hall this first year of eligibility I say no. Um, I mean, it's certainly not a good thing. Um, right. But just like with Kurt Schilling, there seems to be some uh, uh, the media not liking Schilling because of his political views or whatever, or whatever in the world he's got going on. Uh, that's no reason not to vote for him. Uh, what Roy Halladay did after after he retired uh, has nothing to do with how he pitched. So I'm I'm not going with all that. Uh, we got guys in, in all Hall of Fames with a whole lot worse resumes than those guys. Uh, my thing with Halliday is I just think as you line up the stats, if you look at Schilling and you look at Halliday's stats and you lay them on top of each other, they're almost dead even. And I don't see you have one without the other. 
uh, other than you liked one and you didn't like one. Uh, Mike Bucina is also kind of in that mix. I mean, they're they're all three pretty much three peas in a pod statistically. Yeah, but I'll tell you what's different. I think unlike Schilling, Halliday was the dominant guy in the 2000 aughts. I mean, from you know '01 or whatever to 2011, I guess his second year with the Phils, he was pretty much the best pitcher in baseball. He won a Cy Young Award in both leagues. And his numbers were pretty darn good those middle eight or nine years as a major leaguer. So I'm going to disagree with you on that front because when you're the dominating pitcher for you know several years like that, I think that gives you extra cred to get into the hall with a high number of votes. Well, and again, I'll disagree with you since we have a minute to disagree. 3,116 strikeouts by Kurt Schilling is pretty darn good. And, uh, in a, in a time when 200 strikeouts need, seems to now be about a, a milestone, and Schilling had 300 three times and 293 another time. I just happened to have this information at my fingertips because I was mm-hmm. looking it up uh, before. And, and he won 20 games three different times, and he was a big-game pitcher who ended up with a couple World Series rings uh, as well. Uh, you know, maybe one's not better than the other, but but there's not certainly much gap between the two. And that's where I said, if you match statistics, I think they pretty well match up uh, pretty darn close. And, and by the way, Schilling is the only 3,000 strikeout club member besides Roger Clemens who is not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and you know what hurts what hurting Schilling is the fact that, you know, he says a lot of goofy stuff nowadays. He's got some strange views. He's ticked off some writers over the years, so I think that's hurting him in the Hall of Fame vote, unfortunately, uh, but that's just the way it is. I would like to see Kurt Schilling get in based on what he's done, especially as you said, he was so great in the postseason, won a couple of rings, and he was he was a dominating guy when it came to the postseason. Yeah, well, like I said, what, what he does now and being stupid and being saying dumb things in the media has nothing to do with how he pitched for what, what 20 years, whatever whatever he pitched. And by the way, Mariano Rivera, Rivera, uh, first unanimous guy, that is pretty amazing. Certainly the greatest closer of all time. But how did Babe Ruth get in the first time? Did somebody, I mean, was was there a vote back then? And somebody said, "Eh, I don't know if Babe is worthy yet. Let's make him weightier. There was, was, and he wasn't. He was not (laughs) on every ballot at the time, nor was Ty Cobb and – and all those guys back in the day, uh, there was always somebody that left them off. And, you know, That's in modern crazy. day, I think if you look at somebody probably like a Ken Griffey Jr., and, and, you know, in really modern times, the guy that really kind of had no holes in his game. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't get in unanimously. It's uh, it's pretty unbelievable. But, and a guy you know, like Mike Schmidt. Lot, yeah, like yeah, somebody oh, say, yeah, Mike Schmidt. Yeah, he was pretty good. He'll be He'll be on my ballot next year or two years now, but not this first year. I don't get that. If, you, if you're a Hall of uh, Famer, vote for the guy. That's right. And Placido Polanco got votes, for God's sake. <laughs> well, yeah, like two. He got a half a percent. He will not be on the ballot but, next year. But who would vote for him in the top yeah, ten exactly. on that list? Who? Uh, maybe the man card away. Maybe his grandfather has a ballot somehow. I don't know. I got you. Hey, before we talk about the embarrassment that is the NFL chip, uh, from the officiating standpoint, tell us about your visit to the Philadelphia Sports Writers Annual Dinner. You mentioned that a little bit earlier. How'd that go? <laughs> Lots of selfies. You know I love that event, Bill, not just because I get to schmooze with a bunch of athletes and fellow media types and take double selfies, but because they do a real nice job honoring not just the big-name pro athletes, but some amateurs and, of course, media folk as well. They haven't honored me yet, don't worry. Uh, This year's banquet, the 115th annual, by the way, was no exception. They honored the Phils Aranola as Pro Athlete of the Year. Special Team of the Year honorees, of course, the Eagles for winning that little Super Bowl last year. And Jay Wright's Villanova Wildcats for winning another NCAA Hoops title. Mike Quick was honored as this year's living legend. Sonny Hill got a Lifetime Humanitarian Award. Always good to see Sonny. Flyers announcer Jim Jackson got the Bill Campbell Award for Broadcasting Excellence. The retiring Fran Duff, Dunphy, Temple's coach, was given a special award for his five decades of Philly basketball work. Had a nice, ta- a nice talk with Fran, by the way, who played at LaSalle, and he played with a guy from my old hometown of Mahoney City, Stan Ladarchik. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
There were also awards that went to four guys who've been guests on our show. The great Ray Dinger, of course, getting the Stan Hockman Award for his journalistic efforts. Baseball writer Jason Stark was given an award ahead of going into the Baseball Hall in the writer's wing this summer. Brian Propp received the final award of the night, the most courageous for his comeback from that tragic stroke a few years ago. Brian's looking forward to coming back on our show, by the way. And Paul Palmer, the Temple legend who was on with us just a week ago, got a special recognition award in conjunction with going into the College Football Hall of Fame in early December. Had a good conversation with Paul, had a nice chat with Proper, with Ray Diddy, with NBC Sports Phillies' Amy Fadul, uh, the Yankees' Sam Carcitti, as I mentioned. I said hello to Phil's announcers, Tom McCarthy, Scott Fransky, and L.A., in addition to J.J., Jim Jackson. Had a nice chat with Frog, who, as you saw, had a nice display set up at the banquet as part of the confusing or continuing effort, rather, to get Dick Allen in the Hall of Fame. Just a real fun night, even though the beers were greatly overpriced at $7 each. <laughs> can't have everything. It sounds <laughs> no, like a fun can't. night. That's for, that's for darn oh, sure. And Good stuff. Another pers- personal highlight, Bill, getting a picture with Gritty. Yeah, yeah, get over that. <laughs> Come on, man. Hey. Oh, jeez. Oh, hey, Chad, I, I do, uh, I do want to say that was a great list, and a, a lot of people that have taken their time to come join us on Philly Press Box Radio, and uh, great to got to saw, see them, and uh, hopefully we get a bunch of them back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, good to see L.A. too. L.A. had a little uh, surgical procedure in December that he told me about. Then it wasn't publicized or anything, but I asked him how he's doing. He said he's almost back to normal, he said, or, or abnormal, whatever the case may be. He says, uh, you know, his family kind of liked when he was, you know, laying low, but now he's getting back to normal, and uh, they're kind of scared of that. Uh, absolutely. Hey, Chet, I'm going to appoint you NFL commissioner for the next 10 days. What are you going to do about <laughs> the officiating so what we saw last weekend doesn't happen in the Super Bowl? What an embarrassment to oh, the NFL, man. and what a takeaway from two pretty darn good football games that that the you know everybody's sitting around talking about the officials instead of talking about two outstanding games yeah well first of all i would put every official in class for like eight hours a day between now and the super bowl and make sure they know what the hell the rules are because they miss some ridiculously easy calls how there were a couple of guys you know seeing that one pass interference that was not called somebody's got to say Hey, you missed that? I saw it. That's pass interference. Um, in the offseason, I think they're going to talk about allowing instant replay on pass interference calls like that because you can't have those kind of situations. I know we don't want more and more replay to slow down the game, but you know if it's going to help you get the call right on a situation like that, you've got to do it. So, yeah, a little more schooling for the officials and a couple of rule changes because uh, that was a sham of a mockery what we saw. Well, yeah, and it, it was so bad, you know, that that people are talking about fixes and conspiracy theories and all that. I mean, it was blatantly bad. And, you know, the a couple calls in the second game, um, obviously the roughing the passer on Brady was a, was a joke. That, and, yeah. and Brady never even flinched because the guy never even really got near him. Um, so that was one. But the other one that really got me in that game was the, the Julian Edelman – did it hit his fingers or did it not hit his fingers? You know, uh, the ruling on the field was that it did hit his fingers. They showed us 110 views, and I don't think anybody could say that it did or it didn't. I don't know if it did or it didn't after watching it all those times. But that it must be indisputable evidence they changed the call. There's no way you could say it did or it didn't watching it all that many times. And, you know, they couldn't figure out the five Eagles were on top of the football and they're going to figure, they're going to figure out that that touched his fingertip. I, it was unbelievable to me. Yeah. Some, somebody should just like, probably they've done it. Somebody should make a list and a little video compilation of the worst calls or missed calls this year by NFL, NFL officials. The unfortunate thing, it would be like a six hour movie because there were so many this year. The officials have gotten worse in recent years than better. And, you know, it should be a better situation now that they have instant replay to help them. But even with that, there's just so many mistakes, and it's horrible, and it's ruining a great game. You call it unwatchable. It's not unwatchable, but it does make it a bit of a challenge sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's a bit unwatchable. And, uh, 
you know, I, I guess it's a, it's a shame, too, because the overtime rule is also a problem. I think uh, you knew when when New England won the toss, they were going down the field to score, and you might as well have gone out and mow the yard. Poor Andy. Poor Andy. All <laughs> right. Hey, Chet, one other thing, and we only have a second on this, so we're, we're not going to talk about Phillies that uh, we, we thought we might talk about, but I, I want to give a shout-out to you and to our man, John Roberts, for uh, the Kate Beckinsale is back in business on Facebook. And thanks to John Roberts for uh, bringing Kate back to your world. I somehow missed that. Was that something today that John did? Uh, no, it was actually a couple of days ago. And uh, huh. some of your friends have been waiting for you to comment. And just uh, one of those that I won't name Dennis Malloy seems to think that you're afraid of responding to this. I, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, well, we don't want to get too far off topic, but I'm sure... Just uh, in 10, se- in 10 seconds, let me say this. John Roberts posts things about 550 times a day, so sometimes I only catch 540 of them, and I somehow miss that one. Well, you would have thought that that would have probably sent an alarm <laughs> to your phone or your you would selfie think. camera yeah, or whatever the, it is. The Kate <laughs> alert, yeah. yeah. That's right. All right. Hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance on winning something they may or may not be able to afford and have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autographed memorabilia from all the Philly sports teams and more. Actually, a beautiful Nick Foles piece went out last week. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are one in 21, pretty good odds. Check out the Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. Hey, Chad, who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable Show next week? Bill, this week we had Bill Meltzer. Next week we have James Seltzer. If you don't know him, James is a busy guy. He's the producer and on-air partner of WIP's John Ritchie and Joe DeCamera every weekday from 10 to 2. He does the Go Birds radio show and podcast every week. He does a Phillies podcast called, yes, High Hopes. And he's also busy with his and his wife's brand-new baby girl, born in early December. Super nice guy, very knowledgeable about the uh, Philly sports scene. I can't wait for James Seltzer to join us next week. There may be a second guest, too. I'll let you know. All right. Okay, Mr. Chesco, parting shot for you. I do not have one tonight, and we're running a little tight on time, so it's going to work out just right. You know, I was going to have something, and I realized that about 15 minutes before airtime, I never got around to writing it. So I will just tell you that the Oscar nominations came out the other day, and my choice for best picture, Green Book and A Star is Born. I loved both of those movies. I would love to see either Green Book or A Star is Born win. Christian Bale is a lock for Best Actor as Vice. Didn't love the movie, but he was amazing. That's it. Love the movies, as you know. Are we having sound issues, or is there booing going on? (laughs) Who cares about them? I do. Uh, That's all. All right. Hey, one last thing, uh, because now we have about 30 seconds. Roy Halladay's wife has decided blank. A blank on his hat. No Blue Jays, no Phillies. Your take? Yeah, I was surprised because apparently Roy, you know, did that one day retire, one day contract retire as a Blue Jay thing a few years ago because he was going to go in as a Blue Jay. But I don't know if he later changed his mind about that or, you know, Brandy just stepped in and said, no, you're not going to have a Blue Jays hat. So uh, I think it was her decision, ultimately. Uh, It was up to the family since he's no longer with us. Uh, I guess it's kind of good if you're a Phillies fan. He will not be representing either the Blue Jays or the Phillies. And I guess that's kind of cool. Yeah, he should be a Blue Jay. But 11 years with the Blue Jays, four four years with the Phillies. You know, I mean, we we like him. He was a great player, but uh, I'm not thinking we're going there. All right, with that, we've reached the top of the hour. We'd like to thank our special guest tonight, HockeyBuzz.com's Bill Meltzer, Fred Hugo, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave Lavoie of Allstate Insurance of Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 30th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. On blogtalkradio.com, Philly Press Box Radio, or our podcasts on iTunes and TuneIn. 
High, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the juvenile hotels. I hope we pass the audition. 